Everybody's got something? Excellent. Thank you. No, it's always that way. When, when the kids go out, and I've noticed the trend that when I preach, there's less people. Have I mentioned this trend before? <laughs> I've got the cream of the crop here. That's exactly right. Let me pray before we together look at the Word of God. Lord, we have already acknowledged your presence and, um, and sung and worshipped and engaged with you and your great gift for us of salvation and your presence in our everyday and in the world that we live in. And in this time now as we look at your word, we seek for you to lead us. We would like to not just have knowledge of you, God, or of the story, but actually to take hold of and grasp your truths and allow them to be our truths. And in the same way um, as we've already remembered the transformation that takes place as we walk with God, we would want to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So this morning we invite you to do that with us in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I want to do this morning is to invite um, us to participate in the story. You will... If you have been around this year, remember that we are travelling with the Israelites. We're finding our way as the people of God. And we have once before ended up at the doors of Canaan slash the promised land where God was going to give the people, which he promised to Abraham 400 and whatever years ago. And the 12 spies went in. Does anyone remember this story? Is it ringing bells? 10 came out and said... (laughs) Why? Why couldn't they go in? Oh, you guys know the story well. Good Sunday school teachers, I'm sure. Um, and two came out and said, <laughs> let's do it. Um, but the tension is that the ten had a bigger voice than the two, and so for how many years did they wander in the desert? Forty years in the desert. So the generation of soldiers that had refused to enter the land that God had given them had died out. And so here they are again at the doors of Canaan, in fact this time at the city of Jericho and we're going to read the story and I want you to listen to it because we're going to, doesn't want to hear the story, Um, we're going to observe what happens this time. I want you to listen for stories of faith and stories of grace and I want you to hear what God is doing. Okay, I'll read it, we're all going to watch it but we will have conversation around our table. Ready? Then Joshua, son of Nun, not Nun, but Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent the message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly, you may catch up with them. But she had taken them up onto the roof and hidden them under stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. 
So the men sent out in pursuit. So the men set out. Sorry, in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. As soon as the pursuers were gone out, the gate and the sorry gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and she said to them, "I know that the Lord has given this land to you, and that a great fear of you has fallen on." us so that all that live in this country are melting in fear because of you we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did in Sihon and Og and to the two kings the Amorites east of the Jordan whom you completely destroyed when we heard of it our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and the earth below. Now then, please swear by the name of the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window of the house she lived in. Sorry, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. And the men said, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless... When we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and sisters, and all of your family into your house, if anyone goes outside of your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we're doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road, uh, sorry, the road and returned without finding them. And then they went back to their camp. Thanks very much for that. Okay, this is a story that is different to the last story about entering the land, spying out the land. Here we find... How many spies? Why? Yeah, I reckon that's what it was. Why would I send so many? That's just, you know, I want, I want a good report. We had two good reports last time. That's probably what he was thinking. He sent them out secretly into the land. How long were they to explore the land for? It's a trick question. doesn't say. <laughs> Last time when they entered the land to explore it, they explored for 40 days, which is why they did 40 years in the wilderness. This time, go spy out the land, especially Jericho. Where did they spy out first? (laughs) You're exactly right. Go spy out the land. So they entered the house of Rahab the prostitute. What were they doing doing in a prostitute's house? I hear you ask. But the prostitute is also the innkeeper. Yes. You know, the Bible is very... Thank you for raising the iris. The Bible is very silent about what took place. The words are interchangeable. Prostitute, innkeeper or madam, that kind of word is the word that's being used. However, she's named that the whole way through Scripture because her name comes up a few times. 
So we're clear there's some reputation that goes with it. We can't um, excuse her from being, you know, one of those girls because the scripture uses a word that is interchangeable. Also, um, we don't actually know what took place in the house. There's no comment one way or the other. But we do know that there was some pretty private conversation that took place, pillow talk maybe, because somehow the spies and what they were there for became information she knew. So there was some fairly intimate conversation that took place, obviously some vulnerability that took place, but whether or not, we don't know. The Bible leaves it really quiet because maybe when we read the story, we need to hear the, the silence so we can hear our own story rather than be you know, separated from a story. So what I want you to do in your table groups is to have a bit of a talk about the things you observe about Rahab. You've got three minutes. Everybody have a turn, so don't talk too long if you like me and you like to dominate. Um, but everybody, I want you to sh- share at your table group something you observe about the character Rahab. Very quickly, go. Towards the lead, not the aerial. Get it right, Becky. All right, let me hear what you are saying. I've been wandering around listening, but let's hear some thoughts. What, are we, what have we picked up about Rahab? Chat it out. <laughs> I love Rahab. So I was um, saying that she was a woman of great faith and that, you know, the, her sort of testimony about how who God is and how great he is, you know, with the three of your sort of slides up there, is this massive, I guess, explanation sort of word. She was a woman of great faith. In fact, Hebrews, Matt might even put it up for me. Hebrews chapter 11, which is known in the Bible as the faith chapter, and it's got a couple of heroes of faith. And you'd kind of expect Sarah, if you're going to have women of faith, you know, Rachel, some of those Old Testament women that we've talked about to turn up. They don't turn up, but who does turn up? Verse 29 of Hebrews 11 says, By faith the people passed through the Red Sea on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around it for seven days. By faith Rahab, the prostitute, look at that reputation, stays with her, because she welcomed spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. By faith, she's listed in this hall of fame for people that had faith. People like Abraham, you know, who is known as the great father of faith. Um, is listed and here is Rahab from Jericho little old Rahab from Jericho and yet she has this perspective doesn't she of God that is three slides long it's a good portion of the chapter what stands out to me about that Rachel what you've picked up is that when Israel went into Canaan last time they didn't have faith 10 out of 12 spies didn't have faith God set it up this time so it wouldn't end up with the same result. Who had faith? Not Israel, but a Gentile, a Canaanite, a pagan. God made sure faith existed somewhere so that Israel would enter the land. That astounds me. That's great. And she was the key to Israel inheriting the land. Effectively, she was the key in the door to opening up the first invasion or entrance into the land. Great pickup. What else did you pick up about her? Yeah, so she wasn't just a self-obsessed kind of person. She was interested in family. She was concerned about the generations, and she knew that the only hope for the generations was not in Jericho with all its strong walls, but it was with the Hebrews and their God. 
Yeah, you're exactly right. Great pickup. What else? Yeah, thanks, Matt. The Matthew passage, if you don't mind putting it up, includes Rahab in the genealogies of Jesus. Ah, oh, it was meant to be Matthew. Sorry, I tricked you. Um, sorry, I didn't write very clearly. That's for <laughs> for Matt. Um, she's listed as the mother of Boaz. Does anyone know who Boaz is? Yeah, Ruth's husband, the Hebrew who took in a, a Moabit, Moab, a lady from Moab. <laughs> it's not unusual for him to have non-Hebrew people in his family, to love them and to know that God exists outside of the people of Israel. And for him to take Ruth in would have been a step, but he would have understood it's doable because his own mother wasn't a Hebrew. And in his lineage, we discover... We'll probably need to skip down a couple of verses. Here we go. Salmon, the father of Boab, whose mother was Rahab. Sorry, Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, one of the other women as well. So what we discover in the lineage of Jesus, so this is in the opening passage, the story of Jesus is that in his background were women who were saved by grace and everybody was included and, and Rahab, this woman of faith, had sown into the lineage of Jesus. What else? Anything else? Yeah, somebody over here said that too. She was smart. So this lady was probably working for the king, or possibly. Often prostitutes find out information for the kings in those days. They were known as kind of the people that did a bit of that work in antiquity, and they would um, get information from spies, take it to the king, protect the king. So she would have been involved in probably political stuff along the way. However... On this occasion, she committed treason. Well, she was, wasn't she, at this point, because she changed her allegiance from one king to another king. So she was very clever because she made her timing right. She made the right decision, put her eggs in the right basket. She was very, very wise. And she knew that because she listened to the old stories about what God had done in history. So what Pharaoh didn't get when he saw the signs big, bright, clever king. What he didn't realise about God, little Rahab got. She realised, she heard the stories and they changed the way she thought and And she changed her allegiance. She didn't even see it. it, But she put her trust in it. I wonder, just at your tables, if you would just have a quick conversation around what stories have impacted your faith? What stories are the stories that make you hang on tight or invest higher. There might be stories of your grandparents or your family or your um, church. There might be, you know, stories of faith. Maybe they're biblical stories. But what stories have caused you to change or to hang on tight to your allegiance to God? Because these things, I think, are quite important. For Rahab, if she didn't hear the stories, she never, ever would have changed her allegiance, committed treason against her king, protected the spies, lied about it. We won't talk about that. And in effect saved her family 
and it impacted generations because of it. Very important generation. So around your table, quick, what stories have impacted your faith? Obviously, there's not enough time to tell all the stories. We're just warming up, aren't we? You just start to think about, oh, I remember the story of, I remember that I'm listening to you around your tables tell stories. The stories that influence us can either be things that we forget or pass off or neglect, or they can be things that we can allow to continue to foster our faith. The people that have gone before us, that have walked um, faithfully with God, can inspire us to hang on and to walk faithfully faithfully through some of the toughest times. I was thinking about your Romans passage this morning. You know, what can separate us from the love of God? This is a story of a man who has discovered that there is nothing, because he'd done it all, the Apostle Paul. There was nothing that could separate him from the love of God. And what a great story that he knew and experienced and passed on to us. And so many that walk that path. The stories are important. I encourage you to meditate, to think and to reflect on the things, the stories that have formed your faith. At the end of this story, at the end of time, like we're well, you know, but that's fun. That's just how it is today. But at the end of this story, we discover that God's grace is bigger than our picture. That God is at work outside of the boxes that we like to put him in. You know, the religious boxes and the church and the people of God. And that's where God's moving. The story of Rahab is not that kind of story. It shows us that mercy and grace extends into the borders of the people we think would never, ever enter the church. But not only that... God doesn't just extend in, he permeates and he transforms and he takes those people and they become part of his story. The fact that Rahab was in the lineage of Jesus tells us that grace is much more than we have got our head around. God was not limited by Rahab's story, by her background, by her brokenness, by her failure. None of that stopped the mercy of God so often we think, oh, I haven't walked right with God or I haven't, oh, he'll be cross. Do you ever think that? We know the rules that God loves everybody. We know that rule, but sometimes we forget everybody includes me. And today I need God's love for me, you know. And the mercy of God is for you and for I today. And the love is for you and for I today. This is a story, uh, sorry, the grace of God is a story that is for the whole universe. But it is also a story for you and for I. And this story of Rahab, little Rahab, a nobody with no value and nothing precious to offer God, shows us that God knows the nobodies, the you and the me's who just go about our daily life. And he chooses us quite often to be participants in things that sometimes we never see the outworking of. Rahab never saw that Jesus was in her lineage in her lifetime. Not even King David, she wouldn't have seen. She never would have seen the promise. That's what the Hebrew passage is about. They lived in faith, hoping and waiting, but never seeing the promise. But God chose her for that purpose. And for you and for I, the love of God rests upon us and his choice to include us into his people rests on us whether today we feel like it it's happening or not so very often we look at our circumstances and we measure God's love based on them 
It's true, isn't it? Things go wrong. God must be cross. Like we know that's not the rules, but we do that naturally. But the reality is that sometimes in the darkest of circumstances, we are exactly where God wants because he forms us through those circumstances to know him better. In Philippians it says that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it to the end. So for this story today, for our take-home today, there are two, two factors. One, never ever write someone off out of the kingdom of God. Don't discount them. Nobody is beyond the reach of God or beyond his love. And two, never ever forget that whoever you are, whatever your background or your today, your brokenness or your sorrow, you are not beyond the love of God. You are chosen. God has a purpose and a plan and you may not see the outworking of it in your life. But God is at work within you and you are dearly loved and considered precious just as Rahab was. And sometimes we need to own that ourselves. So let's stand as we finish this morning and I'm going to read again what Iris read to us. And this isn't for somebody else. It's not for your neighbour or your mother or your child. This is for you. And if you want to, you can open your hands, I might, to be open to receiving this word. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son but gave him up for us, won't he be able to give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us the right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he's sitting in the place of honour at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scripture says, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loves us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life. Neither angels nor demons. Neither fears for today or worries about tomorrow. Not even the power of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So may God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you, his loving kindness shine upon you and be gracious unto you and you're going out and you're coming in and your labour 
your leisure, your laughter, and your tears. May you walk in his love and may you share it with others as you go. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen.